My name is David J. Harris, Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris, Jr. Show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, friends and family from around the country and literally around the world. This is another episode with your host, David J. Harris, Jr. And today, friends, I have probably one of the most controversial guests that I've ever had on my show. I'm having him on today. Dr. Zev Zelenko is an individual that his story needs to get out there. He's tried to tell his story of what took place when COVID hit his uh, his community Um, His family immigrated to the United States when he was four years old. Uh, He's 46. He's been practicing medicine for 20 years. Friends, his family, uh, uh, he's a family physician for 35,000 people. And when COVID hit uh, in Brooklyn, we all know it would seem like it hit New York the worst. When it hit, he literally had nobody sharing any information or giving him any details on how to try to adjust and help save his patients. So he came up with one. He prayed. He found an answer. And he began to implement something that absolutely worked. Uh, What we're going to cover today is not only the absolutely just, in my opinion, nefarious way that he's been shunned from trying to get this information out. We're literally talking about information that can save people's lives and has saved saved lives. And yet the mainstream media, big tech, they've silenced him. He's been banned on most every major social media platform. Uh, They're trying to silence him. They don't want him to get this information out. And he also has information and insights on why he believes they are pushing the vaccination so hard. Uh, Friends, uh, a quick word. If you like uh, my show, if you want to support me, check out my shop, davidharrisjr.store. It's Olympics week. I'm always rooting for the United States. I hate that we've got individuals that don't love the United States that are representing us, but we still have to champion our, our American beliefs. So American Strong, Brand new shirt, always comes out with the flag. Got my logo on the back. Check out uh, what I've got over there at davidharrisjr.store. All right, now to bring up my guest, Dr. Zev Zelenko. Dr. Zev, my brother, thank you so much for being with me today. How, how are you doing? Thank God, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Two corrections. I'm 47, okay. and it was upstate New York, not Brooklyn, uh, in Monroe, New York. Uh, but That's everything where else your practice is at. Yes, I I apologize. You migrated. I think your family migrated to Brooklyn, but now you're in upstate New York. Correct. So family physician, uh, 35,000 people will live within a mile, one square mile. And that is your, uh, that those are your people. That's your community. It got hit and ravaged with COVID. Uh, Before we get into the vaccine and all this other controversial stuff, you know, uh, big tech is, is trying to silence all of us from even talking about this kind of information which is why I think it's that much more important that we do talk about the information that you have firsthand knowledge of, uh, especially when it, came, when it comes to saving lives and when it comes to uh, trying to avoid what seems to be pushed on us. So let's just go back for a minute, go back and just share with us what happened when COVID hit uh, your community in New York. 
So it was the first week of March, and it's uh, 35,000 people, but it's a very rural area. But this community has a very high population density, and <clears throat> it's the COVID infection spread through the entire community within a few days. And my office, which usually saw 50 patients, started seeing 250 patients. A day? And a day, yeah. And wow. it, it was a mass casualty event. And, and people were very sick. They couldn't breathe. At that time, there was no treatment. We were being told to send people home. And when they get into breathing difficulty, respiratory distress, send them to the hospital, they would get intubated on the ventilator. And at that time, 80% were dying. So it wasn't a very uh, satisfying treatment <laughs> approach. So I, and these are patients that I've taken care of for 20 years, you know? So they're like family to me. Someone told me I'm a family member for 4,000 families. So I had skin in the game, you know, I, I really felt, it's a terrible feeling to know, to see dozens of people that you care about and, and they're dying and you have nothing to do for them. Mm. And everyone's looking at you, please help me, you know? So, uh, I learned three years ago, I was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer and uh, open heart surgery and I lost my lung and there was no treatment for it. And I, I learned very quickly that if there's no treatment, you better find one. So I ended up innovating my own treatment, which uh, thank God I'm still talking to you, right? And uh, so that, so that you, you innovated your own treatment for yourself over a rare diagnosis, a, a, rare, a rare form of cancer that they didn't have a treatment for. So you, you created a treatment for yourself. That was three years ago. You're still here. So it must have worked. Um, well, the cancer I had is 100% lethal. So It's 100% default? Lethal, lethal. It was 100% oh, lethal. lethal. So you yeah. really had a death sentence, and they didn't have a treatment for you, and you, you created, came up with a treatment for yourself. So we're still talking to each other, right? And we're still here. So, uh, <laughs> thank I think, you know, I think, you know, uh, yeah, I, th I think you're, you're gifted and blessed in the area of, of bringing healing to the body through medicine and whatever is necessary. And you, yeah. So you're living proof of that. So that, but that experience taught me two things. Um, one is if you don't have an answer, find one. And that was exactly what was needed, right? We had a global crisis. No one was being told what to do except uh, economic shutdown, world shutdown, travel shutdown, fear-mongering. Everyone was losing their minds. Um, so I started at like 2 o'clock in the morning was when I get all my ideas. So I'm like, I couldn't sleep, and I'm like, talking to God, basically. It's like, what do I do here? And, and an idea came into my head. I, I started researching it, and it basically... I, I surveyed what other countries had done, uh, South Korea and uh, France. I saw that they were using hydroxychloroquine. I wasn't sure even how it works. So I did research on that and I saw that it's a zinc tyanophore. I said, wow, this really makes sense to me. Now these drugs I knew I've been using my whole entire career. Uh, azithromycin, the most common antibiotic and hydroxychloroquine I used hundreds of times for my rheumatological patients. And zinc is just the mineral. So what I did was I combined the South Korean approach with the French approach. I tweaked the dosing to reflect less acute ill patients. And then I said, well, let's try it and see what happens. You see, this was World War III. This is yeah. uh, battlefield medicine. We don't have, there's no, no one 
is telling me what to do. Bullets are flying at me and I have to innovate to stay alive and my patients should stay alive. Yeah. So it was that trial and error. Uh, you know, there's a saying, like if you're drowning in the ocean, you see a piece of driftwood. Well, I don't have a clinical trial to tell me that that driftwood may save my life, but I'm going to hold on to it. Right. And if it does, if it does save my life, I'm going to tell other people about it too. Great right? analogy. So that's exactly what happened. And, and the second I started giving my patients this stuff, they just stopped going to the hospital. They started getting better within six to 12 hours. And I, and I said, okay, maybe uh, five times it's a fluke. Okay. But when I saw that we're getting now two, three, four dozen patients, mm. I said, I, I, I couldn't believe it myself. And I was like, it was oh working God. that good. Yeah. So, and I realized two other things that the sooner you treat someone, the better. You know, it's pretty pathetic when common sense is considered genius because <laughs> since when is treating early considered a, a novel idea? Isn't it easier yeah. to put out a small fire than a big fire? If someone has cancer, don't you want to treat it while it's in one place and, and doesn't spread? So it, yes. it just made sense to me that <laughs> the sooner you intervene, the better it is. And then the, the, there was another issue. I didn't have resources. My Half my staff were sick. The outpatient radiology and blood draw services were closed. The hospitals were at near capacity. So, and I had my hallway filled with patients, like, like a bomb went off. So I called up my colleagues at the intensive care units and I said, uh, who is dying? They said to me, the older patients and the ones that have medical problems. Mm. I said, what about the younger people? No, we're not seeing them. You see, that's all I needed to know that this virus doesn't kill equally. And so basically what I started to do is triage. I would take the, the younger, healthier people and send them home and devote my limited resources to the people that were in the high risk category. And then I tried to started treating them early with yeah. a um, three drug approach. And I'll make it very simple. Out of 6,000 patients that we treated, we had three die when the expectation was over 200. So what, what was now, it prior to that? Did you have any deaths prior to you implementing that new, uh, that new, that new formula, that new plan? Well, we had more patients die also, but those are the patients that came after three weeks of being sick. You know, yeah. uh, I'm, when I say treated, I mean, they came within the early stages of the disease. Um, and then we intervened. But, but see, uh, those numbers are those numbers are miraculous. We, as bad as it was during all of 2020, when nobody knew what the heck was going on or how to treat it, nobody was answering anything. It was ventilators. You're hearing Cuomo ask for more ventilators. You're hearing all these governors talk about, you know, PPE. Uh, nobody was talking about anything that worked. And I remember when hydroxychloroquine uh, and, and zinc and, and erythromyosin, I'm tongue tied on that one. What's it called? What? Azithromycin. Azithromycin. Yes, That combination, I remember hearing about that combination, but the mainstream media immediately wanted to shun it. They made fun of, they even downplayed. I remember they even won. I think it was CNN played that some couple went and put, you know, toilet, or not toilet, but fishbowl cleaner, and they tried it. Because it was because they heard the president talking about it, they went full battle to try to downplay anything that worked. And you did something very interesting. 
you actually made a video about your discovery and you maybe you're getting there, but I want to make sure you get to this video that you shared your results that actually did wind up leading to uh, getting connected to the president or his administration, President Trump at that time. Um, right. But, but go ahead. I realized, that, I realized that I had discovered the most important piece of information in the history of information. Wow. Because if you think about it, there was no solution to a global crisis. Right. And here, this was working. You know, my results I published in an internationally renowned peer-reviewed journal showed an 84% reduction in hospitalization and death. Those results were then corroborated by dozens of studies from around the world that if you treat high-risk patients early, you have an 85% reduction in mortality. What that means is out of 600,000 dead Americans, we could have prevented 510,000 from even going to the hospital. You wow. have to understand the, oh scale, the scale of what we're discussing here. This is the end of the pandemic, if it was taken seriously. Now, when I realized what I had found, that God had given me, not that I found, I don't want to take credit for it. I just have a big mouth. So I decided to publicize uh, this. So I made a video with the help of my son, because I didn't even know how to make a YouTube video and uh, put it up. And the next day, Mark Meadows calls me on my cell phone. Mark Meadows being the president's chief of staff. Yep. And he said, Dr. Zelenko, um, I heard you're looking for the president. I said, yes, I have some very important news. This is what I'm seeing. But again, it was very early in the process, less than 100 patients. Um, they were very interested. And they said, please keep me updated. I had their contact information. I had Mark Meadows' cell phone and email. And I did. Uh, every, uh, like, 25 to 50 patients, I would give them an, uh, an update. Then uh, two weeks, two, a week later, Stephen Hahn, the commissioner of the FDA, calls me on my cell phone. And he wants to know what I'm doing. I tell him. He's kind of interested. And then he refers me to the top people at the NIH. And that's when I hit a brick wall because the NIH had no interest and had no way, even no precedent to process real-world evidence. You see, I wasn't doing research. I'm not a researcher. I was treating my patients. But in the process of treating my patients, I generated some information that was very valuable. By way of analogy, a frontline soldier finds a map of the enemy. He realizes this map tells him everything you need to know. He also realizes this map has to get to the five-star general immediately to win the war. That's yeah. how I felt. I, I had important information, and that information went nowhere. So then a week later, Rudy Giuliani called me on my cell phone. Um, Love Rudy. Yeah, me too. Uh, I just spoke to him uh, Friday. And um, he um, invited me to do a podcast, which I did. And that went viral. And since then, my life has never been the same. Hmm. And, uh, for example, when the president announced that he took hydroxychloroquine, he said that he got a letter from a doctor from upstate New York. So I, I had sent him a letter, and I had basically influenced the president of the United States to uh, take hydroxychloroquine for himself to show people that it's safe. And wow. That it's, uh, so, so what happened was then all the, all the vilification started, all the prosecution. Uh, I got death threats. I got vilified. My reputation was attacked. A quack. This For what? <laughs> I didn't even, just, I was just for, him, for helping people. I mean, it's like right. what? You're helping people. You're saving lives. You're trying to share the information that you've that you've collected that is helping people survive. 
what was otherwise known as, you know, no answer to a global a global pandemic. And who were these individuals? Who were some of the people other than just the the no the the nobodies? Did you know it was a certain networks? We could say it all well, here. Sure. Um, New York Times had a front page head job on me. Uh, right wing uh, star doctor treating touting a White House associated right wing doctor touting uh, unproven treatments, you know, stuff like that. Then um, Vanity Fair did a head job on me, <laughs> Washington Post. I, oh, I, wow. I got a real schooling, I have to tell you. Um, now I'm pretty good at it, but before I didn't know how the, this world. I don't like your world, by the way. <laughs> but uh, the media is tough. It's, I mean, especially if they're coming after you because they'll say everything they want. They'll interview you. They won't include anything that makes makes sense, and they'll twist your words to use it against you just to create the narrative that you are don't know what you're talking about. You're insane. You're a quack. Just to discount something that again was saving people's lives. It's insane to me. Well, they, they were, they are, they were, they are spewing a narrative of death, which we'll get into. Um, because this is a narrative war. So what happened was that hydroxychloroquine got vilified. It became politically radioactive. Uh, no one wanted to touch it. And then there was a shift in policy away from pre-hospital care to vaccine development. You see, there's four components to treating a pandemic. There is spread prevention. There's pre-hospital care. There's hospital care. And then there's uh, the vaccine approach. And all of them are important. You can't favor one over the other, right? So what was done was a, the pre-hospital care component was marginalized and emphasis was on hospitalized care and the vaccine development, which we can talk about that in a minute. But um, so what happened was that there, there was a very deliberate, uh, corrupt uh, mechanism that led to genocide. And I'd like to tell you, uh, I have information that very few people know, that when President Trump made an order, made an executive order, that hydroxychloroquine should be made available to every American, that uh, task was given over to the Secretary Azar from Health and Human Services. Azar gave it to Larry Kudlow, who was the head lead counsel for the HHS, and he gave it over to uh, Dr. Rick Bright, he was the head of BARDA, which is a division of the HHS, which was there to involved in vac vaccine development. And Rick Bright was supposed to use the right to try legislation or a compassionate access program to open up the national stockpile of medication to every single American. That was the president's mm -hmm. wish. What happened was completely different. By the way, how do I know this? So there was a documentary called Totally Under Control. I was in this documentary. And the segment before mine is Dr. Rick Bright, who gleefully admits, these are his words, step by step, he walks you through the pathway to genocide. And yeah, yeah, you have to look it up. By the way, people do not believe a word that I'm saying. Don't make the same mistake like you do with the government. Listen to what I'm saying. Vet what I'm saying. Yeah. Go test, make sure that I'm not nuts and I'm not lying to you, and then reach your own conclusions. Anyway, so so I'm a big pro uh, I'm a big proponent of that. Do your own research. Every if 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 every single person before jumping on some emotional bandwagon over any topic would just go do their own research, it would we'd be a different country. 
overnight. Most people just don't. They want to be spoon fed the information so they can feel good about their position and then go about their lives. And that's going to lead to the ultimate demise of our country because it's they're taking it away. And if and we're going to get into the genocide in a minute. If what this vaccine looks like could be what it looks like to me, I'm going to ask you what it, what it looks like to you. Then uh, we're 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 going down the fiery tunnel right now. So, Rick Bright, instead of using the pathway that was designed for this purpose to make the national stockpile of medication available to every single American, because our nation stockpiled hydroxychloroquine. What he did was he collaborated with Dr. Janet Woodcock, who is now the acting head of the FDA. And this, this information I have from Dr. Stephen Hadfield. He was an assistant to Peter Navarro, the president's uh, economic advisor. And he wrote an article and gave interviews about it. So Janet Woodcock, who belonged to the uh, FDA, in a very unusual way, called and collaborated together with Rick Bright to craft an emergency use authorization, you have to pay attention, an emergency use authorization that restricted hydroxychloroquine use to only hospitalized patients. What in the hell would they do that for? I'm sorry, but that just doesn't make any sense. If, if hydroxychloroquine is being proven to work, why would they wait until somebody's in the hospital and not allow any other person <laughs> to use it? That just, it's insane to There's me. A, well, I'll, I'll tell you why. There's what they say, and then there's the real reason why they did it. But for now, I just want to tell you a story of horror, a horror story. So then the Rick Bright, he gleefully says, yes, we crafted it. And we, my team at Varda felt so proud that we had saved the American public from such a dangerous medication. Hydroxychloroquine? Yeah. So now, <laughs> now listen to this. Uh, next chapter, the academic fraudsters begin. The academic, you see, the, there was, there was a, I have to describe to you the pieces and then put the puzzle together. It's absolutely the crime of history. This is the worst crime in history. Just to send you, this is a biblical scale, the, the amount of damage that this has done. And so to, to fully understand the depth of what's going on, I need to, because I was there every step of the way. Mm. By the way, it's not like I chose COVID. It chose me. God has a sense mm. of humor. I, I, I never asked for this. But anyway, so, but, by the way, another interesting thing, when I thought I was dying from cancer, and you really believe that you're going to meet God, mm. something interesting happens. You stop fearing human beings. Mm. <laughs> and That's good. And. And when God said, because basically I don't want to see you yet, uh, but that lack of, uh, lack of fear stayed with me. And that became very useful mm. when you're dealing with the most lethal and I would say even evil forces on the planet. And I resolved that, I resolved that I'm going to see this through to the end, whatever that may mean, because I really believe that we're fighting for the, the consciousness uh, God consciousness, the soul of man, and the and freedom from tyranny. So I can and just to concur, I continually say that this fight to me is becoming far less about right or left uh, political party, and it seems that it is honestly becoming a fight. I think it has been all along, but now it's more even observed on the surface. It's a fight between good and evil, 
uh, it's it's nefarious what's trying to take place, what is taking place in our country right now. And if the United States goes the way of these elites, uh, that's 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 end game. That's so what you what you intuit. I'm going to give you the details and information that mm. needs to be uh, brought to the surface, and then people need to act on it because uh, there there's criminal actions here. There's um, crimes against humanity here on the scale that should be taken up by the Hague or, or Nuremberg. So anyway, so wow. what happened was like this. Then the academic fraud began. There was a coordinated effort to uh, marginalize and fearmonger the use of hydroxychloroquine. Yep. And part of that was the use of academia, which put out fraudulent information that became the basis for disastrous policy. So for example, Lancet, which is considered, was considered the most prestigious medical peer-reviewed medical journal, uh, published a paper that a meta-analysis of 96,000 patients and concluded that hydroxychloroquine kills people. It was a database from a company called Surgisphere. So WHO heard this and they put a global moratorium on the use of hydroxychloroquine and research on it. Then there was one problem with that paper. It was fraud. That data set didn't exist. Well, and I remember that I remember that Lancet story being used in publications to downplay hydroxychloroquine. It was part of the reason why all mainstream that's media the, downplayed that, uh, hydroxychloroquine. That paper, that paper has less value than used toilet paper. And oh. and what happened was it became the basis for some very interesting policy decisions. So the WHO puts a global moratorium in the use of hydroxychloroquine. Then in the first week of June, please listen to this, it's extremely important. The FDA revokes the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine, even for the hospital patients. Based on that and study, based on that paper from Lancet? If you look at the document, this is all documented. If you look at the document that is, forms the basis, why the rationale for why they are revoking its use. They quote the Lancet paper that was re retracted for fraud after it was retracted. Okay, wait, wait, wait. The paper was retracted for fraud, so it was proven to be totally baseless, fraudulent. And after the retraction, the FDA still used the paper as the reason to revoke the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine. Um, you, you said that 100% correctly. Wow. And this is all documented. If somebody wanted to go research this, where would they find the paper for the FDA's revoking the Emergency Use Authorization Act for hydroxychloroquine? It's called FDA.gov. Just go to FDA.gov, research HCQ, uh, revoked emerg Emergency Use Authorization Act. So you've we'll reviewed all this. I just want my audience to know this is all verifiable. I'll, send you, I'll make it even easier for the audience. I will send you all the links for everything that I say during this interview. All right, perfect. Perfect. By the way, you realize I'm, I'm risking my life, my reputation, my career, everything. You, you think I would get to this point and do this if I didn't do my due diligence or believe in what I'm doing? I don't I'm think not you so would, no. No, you no. have no, there's no, well, what point would there be? I mean, there's no point. Uh, you're a family physician, 
right? For 30, 20, 30 years, you see a lot of people, you're happily content with what you've got going on. COVID hits you in your office. You find something that works. You start digging into why they're not allowing hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc to be used. Uh, and, and you find all this stuff. So no, you, you have no reason, uh, I, I think, to just come out and, and say stuff that doesn't make any sense or is baseless, which is why I've vetted you as well, why I have you on the show today. We've had conversations about this before. Uh, but again, I always am, like you said, always telling the audience, go do your own research. It's like when somebody hears it and then they go actually see it, it makes, I think it makes it even that much more concrete if they didn't get it to begin with. Hopefully my audience gets it, but still go, go do the research so that you can show your family and your friends. And hopefully everybody shares this, this uh, podcast, this show with everybody that they know, because I truly believe this is probably the most important. It's got to be the most important interview I've ever done. This global pandemic is still threatening now. There are new, new variants, which you're going to get into. New variants, new lockdown measures, masks all over again, masks for our kids. Total control of the people is what I believe that they want. And they're using this fake planned pandemic, this uh, and, and the shunning of things that actually work to, to take away our freedoms, to destroy our country. It's what I firmly believe. 